food allergy or food intolerance? This is a question I get pretty regularly, and this is a question that my co-host Pam was recently talking about with one of her friends. So we thought, let's make it an episode. So here's the intro, and then Pam and me talking about food allergy versus intolerance. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hey, Pam. I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast. And you probably hear little Adelaide. Yes, she's my favorite. Um, Thank you. I am glad to be back. And before we start, I just want to say um, a huge thank you to the Food Initiative, to Code Anna, to you, and to all of our listeners um, for their generous donations to my hometown that was um, recently affected by Hurricane Laura. Um, it was so heartwarming to, um, receive that news and, uh, we appreciate it so very much. And I know that the kiddos and the families here with food allergies that, um, especially during those first couple of days and weeks, um, that could not get to the store or didn't have anywhere to store things, um, absolutely appreciated it. So I just wanted to say Thank you. And we're all doing well, but I'm glad to sort of be back to a normal um, and be here with you guys. So I'm excited. Well, it's absolutely our pleasure, Pam. As a lot of our listeners know, um, we're both on the board of the Teal Schoolhouse, which leads the Codana program and Codana equips schools for medical emergencies. And, and one of the programs we have is an online epinephrine training program. And there is a cost to the program, $25, which is less than other courses. But every now and then I run into like, well, why, why don't you make the course free? A few reasons, one of which is we have to be sustainable, right? Um, And things cost money. (laughs) Um, But also it's because of times like this, if we didn't have a way we generated some sort of revenue to support our mission, then in times like this, when families needed us, we wouldn't be able to provide that support to our food allergy community. Um, Exactly. And, um, of course, we also take donations, and we did receive donations, and we really appreciate that, too. I mean, I, I say it all the time. People laugh at me. Um, I, I think kindly they laugh, though, but teamwork <laughs> makes the dream work. No, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, this time it was me that was affected. It was, you know, my community that was affected. Um, but you know, it's, it's all the communities and the food allergy community is so large and, um, you know, we're still learning so much about it. And, you know, some places are just not as equipped as others. And so um, for anybody that lives food allergy, loves someone with food allergy, um, goes to school with someone with food allergy, it's just so important to have programs like this um, that just, educates people in a way that is simple. It's not 
um, scary. It um, it's just straightforward. It's it's such a good program because so many areas, you know, in, in the blog world or in the education field or whatever are um, sometimes a little intimidating, you know, to read because they're so they're filled with medical jargon that the everyday person can't. And that's one of the good things about the Code Anna project is that um, it has been developed in a way where, you know, if you're an educator, you understand it. And if you're just a mom, you understand it. Or if you're a dad or a grandparent or an aunt, cousin, um, so we definitely appreciate the support from everybody and, um, encourage you guys to take a look at it and see if it's something that it's good for your school as well. Absolutely. And, and the Codiana school program is available to all schools across the country at no cost at all. Um, and the way we're able to make that flagship program, no cost is because of the online epi certification um, program. And, you know, to your point, we really try to make the education not, you know, it's not geared towards medical personnel. And in a way, it's not even necessarily geared towards food allergy families, because many times food allergy families know a lot of the information already. It's really to help our food allergy families by teaching the layperson who is not necessarily as directly affected by food allergy in their own life. Um, So we really do try to make it as easy to understand and easy to apply Mm -hmm. as possible. Isn't that right, Adelaide? (laughs) She's all about it. (laughs) My listeners know that is, that's my sweet little daughter. Um, She and I had a good chat earlier. Oh, <laughs> well, and, you know, talking about um, making medical information more understandable, you were telling me the other day, and that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. You were telling me the other day about a conversation you were having yes. um, about the difference between food allergy and food intolerance or, yes. or tell me more about that. So I actually have a niece that um, has celiac and her mom and I were talking about, um, you know, school started again. We kind of started school and then we got off for the hurricane and then we started again. But usually at the beginning of school, um, like every food allergy parent does or should do, they, um, you know, we write a letter to the school or to the, the classes. We go up to the schools and we talk to them about, you know, our food allergy issues. And she and I were talking about how um, with celiac, sometimes it's a little harder because people don't understand if it's a food allergy or if it's an intolerance or why can't she eat it if she's not allergic, you know, to it. And I say allergic with quotes um, or, you know, well, if she can eat it and she doesn't have an allergic reaction, then why can't she eat it? Because it's not something that like a food allergy will manifest itself almost immediately. And for her, it's, it's different. And so she and I were just having a conversation about, you know, what she tells people, um, what she has learned in her journey. And really, um, because my journey has been focused on food allergy where we just avoid and that's it. Like, I don't have any other questions. Um, 
for me too, um, I still have questions about, you know, what is an intolerance? Why do we avoid certain foods if they aren't necessarily harming us in different ways? Um, how do we know if it's an intolerance? How do we know if it's something like celiac? How do we know if it's an allergy? And so when I approached it to you as a topic, we just kind of thought, if I have these questions and if she has these questions as a person who lives with celiac and as a person who lives with food allergy, then clearly other people probably have this question. So that's just kind of how it came up. And I just think it really is just a good topic all around, you know, not just about gluten and celiac, but milk intolerance, milk allergy, you know, whatever it may be. So I'm excited to hear and to learn today. Like yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely um, it, it's an incredibly important question is what's the difference between an allergy and an intolerance right. and why it's so important is not necessarily because, well, if it's not an allergy, then you can eat it and be fine. Like that's not necessarily the case. Right. Um, just because you have an intolerance that's not going to cause anaphylactic shock. It's going to cause severe GI distress. Like that doesn't mean that it's okay to have severe GI distress, right? right? Exactly. Um, but it is important to know if you have a food allergy because a food allergy can manifest as a life-threatening condition that is treated with epinephrine. Right. Um, so that's why it's so important to know what you have so that or what your kiddo has so that you can avoid it properly and so you can have the medication available to treat an allergic reaction if it's an allergy to have to prevent the unwelcome GI distress. Right. I know Adelaide doesn't like unwelcome GI distress. <laughs> um, that comes with lactose intolerance, and you can take lactase supplement for that. And right. and I'll get into all of that. Um, I sent you a picture yes, of a slide that I regularly present when I'm doing a food allergy talk. This particular table I actually made like five years ago, um, but it's it's still accurate, relevant. You know, I always try to um, I always try to keep my information as up to date, cutting edge as possible. Definitely, um, and it's and- understand for sure. Yeah, I think I'm going to turn this into a an infographic for our listeners over the next couple of weeks. Um, y'all know, listeners, that I I love to to provide education in in formats that different people learn. So some people learn from audio, some people learn from visuals. Um, I'm definitely a visual person. Me too. Um, so what 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 I try to do. When somebody asks me, well, what's the difference between wheat allergy and celiac disease and and gluten allergy, is I really break it down. So I'll get into gluten typically is not an allergy in a bit. Typically, gluten is a sensitivity. I'll get into that. But first, let's go with the easiest one, which is a wheat allergy. A wheat allergy is when your immune system makes allergy antibodies against wheat protein. And then when somebody with wheat allergy antibodies eats wheat protein, like 
wheat bread and kind of most breads, unless they're wheat gluten free. Right. Um, then when you consume wheat, then you can have immediate onset hives, swelling, vomiting, anaphylaxis. Right. Okay. Um, and the treatment for wheat allergy is either strict avoidance of wheat right. or oral immunotherapy, which right. right now there is not an FDA-approved form of oral immunotherapy, but there are allergy practices that use foods to um, to desensitize kiddos and adults to wheat. Right. So that's a wheat allergy. How, do, how does that sound so far, Pam? Easy peasy. And... Wheat allergy, EpiPen, use your EpiPen. That is probably, yes. You know, if you have any of those symptoms that she said, hive, swelling, vomiting, anaphylaxis, you have to use your EpiPen. That is probably, aside from, you know, clearly the medical side of it, the main, I think, difference between a wheat allergy and something like celiac or sensitivity, for sure. That's exactly right. So next, let's talk about celiac disease. Celiac disease is not an allergic disease. It's actually an autoimmune disease. And what happens is your body actually attacks the GI tract, and that attack is triggered by the presence of gluten. Gluten is a substance found in grains, and that's what gives breads elasticity. So it doesn't make allergic antibodies. It makes a different type of antibody. And you're not going to have immediate onset hive swelling, trouble breathing. You actually won't really have hives or swelling or trouble breathing. Um, Because again, it's not an allergy. Allergy cells are not getting activated. This is an autoimmune disease and it's slowly going to cause damage to your GI tract, which can cause abdominal pain, diarrhea, weight loss, um, because it's damaging your GI tract, then you won't have as good of absorption of important um, vitamins, minerals, so people can develop anemia. But also because it's an autoimmune disease, you can have system-wide manifestations, meaning right. you can have some funny rashes, you can have joint pains, because again, it's an autoimmune disease. It's not just limited to the GI tract. Right. The treatment for this is gluten avoidance. So that that's beyond just avoiding wheat because gluten is in more than just wheat right? as opposed to wheat protein is found in wheat. But gluten is found in, in, multiple, in multiple grains. Right. So with celiac disease, the treatment is gluten avoidance. There, you, you would not administer an EpiPen because, again, what an EpiPen does or an epinephrine auto-injector, what epinephrine does is it tells those allergy cells to chill out. Well, right. in celiac disease, allergy cells are not playing a role at all. This is all an autoimmune process fueled by gluten, and so you really need to strictly avoid gluten. Right. And my question is, because I'll tell you how we found out about my niece, is that um, my niece was in first grade when she found out she's now in, well, it doesn't matter what grade she's in, but she was in first grade. So she was, I guess, around seven, I don't, six or seven. I don't remember what age we are in first grade. Um, And her grandmother was actually diagnosed with celiac. 
And so when her grandmother was diagnosed with celiac, um, they were told as a family, my sister-in-law was told, you all need to be checked for celiac. And so she and all of my nieces went in for the blood work and for all of the things. And that's how we found out that my oldest niece has celiac. Um, Other than that, she didn't really have any of the symptoms, you know, that, that you were describing, Um, you know, looking back, she may have had a little bit of abdominal pain or um, maybe a little bit of GI issues, but none where we were concerned, right? Like we would think, oh, she just ate, you know, too much sugar or whatever it may be. So my question is, because she basically found out due to the fact that she had a grandmother who was diagnosed with it, if you have a family history of it, if you have a grandparent or a mom or, I don't know, an aunt, um, is that something that you should be checked out for that you should say, well, because I know with food allergies, just because you, you know, your mom has a food allergy doesn't mean you're going to have a food allergy, Um but with celiac, is that a difference that we need to take a look at that, you know, if you're having some of these symptoms and maybe there is a family history of it, that you would be more likely to develop celiac? Hi there. This is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering Food Allergy Office Hours for Parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. There's definitely a strong genetic predisposition when it comes to celiac disease. Um, So if your mom has celiac disease, then you're more likely to have celiac disease than say your friend whose mom doesn't have celiac disease. Right. Um, Typically celiac disease, there is blood work for it. Oftentimes um, they'll also do a biopsy. Right. What? That's what my niece did. She did blood work and then the blood work led to the biopsy to confirm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's typically the route um, that GI doctors go. And Again, I'm an allergist, so celiac disease is not technically within my area of expertise, right? Right. Um, But when it comes to celiac disease and when I'm talking with my patients, whenever they have questions like this that, like, say I'm seeing the kiddo and the mom's like, hey, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. Is that affecting little Johnny's stomach aches? Um, It was probably already on my radar given what I do. But right. that's definitely a time where I'm going to say, let's have you CGI and talk about all of this with the gastroenterologist. And now they're gastroenterologists that really specialize in celiac disease, right? Um, which is really awesome because 
as as medicine has progressed, I mean, just like think over the last 30 years, like we have so many more, not even just specialists, but subspecialists, right? right. So I'm a subspecialist. Um, I still see non-food allergy issues, but I do so much food allergy. Right. And, and that's really where my passion is too, though I love all my patients. I have very good <laughs> patients. I'm going off on a tangent right now, by the way. I love my patients. I have the most amazing patients. But it's nice to, um, to be able to go to an allergist who specializes in what your issue is. Same thing with GI or, you know, a pediatrician, whatever it may be, it's nice to be able to have that option to be able to speak with someone who does this every day rather than I just see a couple of times a year type situation. I know that would be my preference if if I needed um, a food allergist. So it's it's important that if somebody has a family history of celiac disease that they do talk with um, a gastroenterologist. Right. And, and that's what I always recommend. With a disease like celiac disease, you don't want the symptoms to kind of sneak up on you because what I find happens is that the symptoms sneak up on people over the period of maybe a few years and they've started making lifestyle modifications around their symptoms, meaning they won't necessarily go out to dinner with their friends because they know that they're going to have to find the bathroom. When we start modifying our lifestyle to accommodate a condition, that's when we have to recognize, okay, this is an issue. And if we're not already talking with our doctor about it, then we need to talk with our doctor about it. Exactly. Because no one wants to live around a food condition or any condition to begin with. So yeah. if you're, if you're being almost debilitated by it, where it's like you said, affecting your life choices, then talk to your doctor. Exactly. Okay. So we've talked about celiac disease. It's an autoimmune disease. It's not an allergy. You treat it by avoiding gluten. Exactly. We've talked about wheat allergy, which is an allergy disease. You treat it by avoiding wheat or wheat oral immunotherapy and you treat emergency reactions or reactions with epinephrine. So that leaves us with gluten sensitivity. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, With gluten sensitivity, um, more properly called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And this sometimes people call gluten allergy, and that's more because people sometimes tend to call things allergies that are not allergies. Right. When you, when a person says, I'm allergic to something, but they're really not, that often makes it hard for those who truly are allergic to something or have celiac or have a true sensitivity um, to advocate for ourselves when we go eat at places because then people stop taking us as seriously. And I think that's definitely one of the um, obstacles that we see as food allergy parents is having to almost prove that our allergy is in fact real, that it's not just, oh, we don't like garlic today, you know? Um, So, hey, it's okay if you don't like certain foods. There's no problem with that. I don't like mushrooms and I don't want to eat them. (laughs) 
but I'm not going to say, oh, I'm allergic to mushrooms because then it just really diminishes the, um, the credibility that we as food allergy parents have. So if you hear that from someone, tell them to stop. <laughs> no, that's it. That's exactly right. It really muddies the water right? Um, and puts a lot of um, inaccurate information out there about what food allergy is. You know, the other thing we should add to this conversation, because we've talked about wheat allergy, celiac disease, which is where you can't have gluten, um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which, oh, I didn't really talk about non-celiac gluten sensitivity yet. So yet. non-celiac gluten sensitivity it's it's not an allergy, meaning little allergy cells are not activated. Epinephrine is not going to do anything for it. It's not an autoimmune disease that we know of. Um, we don't know of any particular antibodies that play a role in this disease process. But the symptoms you get can be very similar to celiac disease. Get really bad belly pain bloating, diarrhea, you hear this brain fog mm. um, that, I mean, it's real. Right. Some people don't believe it's real. Some doctors don't believe it's real. I personally believe it's real. Yeah. And the treatment for it, just like for celiac disease, is, is gluten avoidance. Right. So it's, it's really important, though, that before you decide that you have this non-celiac gluten sensitivity, that you see a GI doctor about it. Because even though the treatment for celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity is the same, gluten avoidance is the treatment, it's always very important to know and understand your diagnosis. Exactly. And that that's something that I really try to drive home to all my patients, whether it's an allergic disease or not. Like you should always try to understand your diagnosis and just and take charge of of your life understanding what your diagnosis is. I think that is so important because before you can really treat well, before anyone can really prognose anything, you want to know the diagnosis, right? Right. One of the annoying things about um like food intolerances is is that you know, there's no test for it. Right. It's 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 hard to have a slam dunk diagnosis unless your physician's uh, pretty competent when it comes to food intolerance disorders, lactose intolerance. There is a test for that, and there's an easy treatment for it too. You take lactase, which is an enzyme that breaks down the sugar called lactose. That's the sugar found in milk products that um, in people with lactose intolerance, they they actually don't make enough lactase. So the little enzyme in their GI tract called lactase isn't really there anymore. So then that sugar travels into areas of the GI tract that it shouldn't and wreaks havoc. And right. so luckily we can just buy over the counter for a few dollars lactase and it, it changes people's lives. And, you know, that's especially important for women. I know a lot of women who have some lactose intolerance symptoms, it's really important that women get calcium, especially earlier in their lives. And if you're lactose intolerant, then that's knocking out a lot of sources of calcium, not all of them, but it's knocking out a lot of sources of calcium that if you don't talk to a dietitian, if you don't really try to get calcium into your diet, then you can certainly have some issues with osteoporosis later on. Right. 
So again, it all comes back to understanding your diagnosis so you can understand um, and really embrace the best treatment plan for you. Right. And that's what I was going to say is that understanding your diagnosis is important as a, as a, not a medical professional, just as a, as a parent and as a person who lives allergy um, or any diagnosis is because your treatment for it is not the same as the next person's treatment. So, you know, the way that we handle our peanut allergy and what has been recommended by our, our allergist may not necessarily be the same recommendation that he gives to somebody else. And so it's, you should never blanket your diagnosis. So you should always, one, have a really informative conversation with your personal physician, but also take that time to and use all of these really great resources that are out there to get a better understanding of what your diagnosis means so that when you do have those conversations with your personal allergist or your doctor or whoever, whomever, you um, are equipped with the education that you need to know, well, this is how I treat my allergy. For instance, we avoid all the things. We avoid um, clearly peanuts, but we also avoid manufactured in a facility with peanuts, depending on the food, um, because of her history. Um, But someone's history may not be the same, right? And so they may be comfortable with eating things that are manufactured together or run on the same line. Um, Not to say that the kiddos won't react the same way when introduced to that protein, but just her personal, what we have seen happen to her allows us to make that choice about her diagnosis and how we live our lives around it. Um, So definitely take the time to understand all of the things regarding your diagnosis and, and any kind of medical situation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And if I can ask, y'all's journey has has been a journey and there have been different parts to your journey and you've avoided different things along the way as y'all have learned more and more about her diagnosis. Is that right? right? Yeah, absolutely. If you hadn't been talking with your doctor and seeing an allergist, I mean, you guys see an allergist every year. I know so many families... um, food allergy families that when they come see me, you know, their kiddos had food allergy for a decade now. And the last time they saw an allergist was a decade ago. Yeah. And especially now with therapies. So not just like improved testing and improved clinical interpretation of testing, um, but with more, with, with some therapies available. It's so important to see your allergist at least every year. Definitely. And Yeah. And we have learned one, we definitely see our allergist every year, allergist every year. Um, Even if he's just going to tell us the same thing, (laughs) you know, she's still allergic. This is what you need to do. Here's your prescription. But just being able to go and like you said, get that information from him, because as a person on the outside of the medical field, looking in, your profession is constantly changing. The information that y'all are given is, or that y'all are, are discovering 
to me is constantly changing. And so I find it very important to have a conversation with him and see where he stands um, in his personal view of allergy, food allergy, and in what he has learned so that even with that information from him, I'm able to make a good choice to decide if Um, you know, how often we need to go in, if treatment options are good for us, depending on her diagnosis and what we have learned throughout the years and um, going every year. It's kind of like getting your well checkup, right? You know, you, when your kids are little, you go to their well checkup and you go every year. And even I, I remember getting to a point, I think my daughter may have I don't remember when she was, but she wasn't due for, you know, any vaccines or anything for a couple of years. And I remember the nurse saying, or that maybe even the doctor, she doesn't have to come every year. Um, you know, we can see her in, not next year, but the year after that, if that's what you want. And I remember saying to her, no, no, we're going to come every year. And she said, great, I just have to put that out there. Um, and to me, I want to go every year because as much as I pray and hope that, you know, my kids are healthy and and growing the way they should, just to have that peace of mind, right, from someone who is an expert that, yes, what you're doing is right, what they're doing is right, what their body is doing is right, because I wouldn't want to go back in life and say, man, if I'd only seen the allergist, you know, and he could have told me this information, um, you know, things could have been different or whatever it may be. So, we definitely are huge fans of that and the fact that my husband um, is a dentist and, you know, we advocate going to the dentist every six months because you just don't know. It's not, you know, you just don't know. You need to go get your teeth checked. And it's not just about having pearly whites. It's about, you know, di- making sure you don't have any issues in, in your mouth. And and that's what all of those appointments are for. You know, there's a reason why doctors have a timeline of when you should go see them. And it's because we're trying, they're trying, we, I'm not a doctor. They're trying to make sure that you're on top of your health because if you're not, then who is? That's exactly right. And it reminds me of a case that I had actually when I was a medical student of um, this teenager who hadn't seen the pediatrician in a while, like years and came in and had a fish, a GI fistula and ultimately had Crohn's disease. And I mean, teenager wasn't exactly enthusiastic about disclosing any sort of bowel habits, but we got the records from the pediatrician from when the kiddo had last been seen and a few times prior and the kiddo had totally fallen off the growth curve. And inflammatory bowel disease, one of the um, one of the manifestations is is not gaining weight appropriately. Right. And that's something that, you know, maybe if the kiddo had been seen, then something would have been looked into a little bit more when the kiddo was falling off the growth curve. I mean, hindsight's always 2020, right? Right. Exactly. Though I mean 2020 has a whole new connotation now. Oh, goodness. I can't handle <laughs> 2020. I'm trying to make the best of it. I really am. But when you have another hurricane heading your way, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine, Pam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to bring into this conversation um, 
that I was about to go into, and then I realized I hadn't talked about non-celiac gluten sensitivity yet, but we've talked about non-celiac gluten sensitivity. We've talked about celiac disease, and we've talked about wheat allergy. The fourth thing that I need to bring in and that I really need to add to that slide that I sent you is wheat-induced eosinophilic esophagitis. Oh, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because what eosinophilic esophagitis is, is when your esophagus, which is your swallowing tube, gets really inflamed, gets really angry, um, and that anger is triggered for some reason by certain foods. And wheat is one of the foods that can do it. Milk is also a big food that can do it. Egg can do it. Um, any any of the big eight allergens peanut, tree nut, egg milk, wheat, soy, finfish, shellfish can do it. Some other foods can do it, but wheat is certainly one that can do it. And that's a food allergy, but it's not an allergy like your traditional peanut allergy where you're going to eat, where you eat a peanut and suddenly have high swelling, trouble breathing. What happens with EOE, eosinophilic esophagitis, is that the more your esophagus is exposed to its food trigger, in this case, wheat, the more your esophagus becomes angry, inflamed. What I mean by angry and inflamed is that immune cells that should not be in the esophagus go to the esophagus, specifically eosinophils. It is a type of allergy cell. And over time, as you have more and more inflammation in your esophagus, your esophagus can actually harden and stricture down. And the way some people present with this is they're eating a cheeseburger and they swallow it and then they're like, wait, it's 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 still in my swallowing tube. It's not it's not going down in my stomach. So they're not having trouble breathing. It's not like they're choking. Right. It's not in their airway. It's stuck in their esophagus because their esophagus has been inflamed for a while and wow. has kind of shrunken down and now food won't pass. So they end up in the emergency room. The gastroenterologist comes in has to like pull out the cheeseburger and does little biopsies. And and then the pathology laboratory reads little biopsy and sees lots of eosinophils, those allergy cells. So that's okay. another case where just like you were talking about your little niece, um, where she's not going to have an immediate manifestation of the adverse reaction to her food, in her case, gluten. Right. Um, but if somebody has wheat-induced eosinophilic esophagitis, sometimes they do. Like they can, they can tell, they can feel when it goes down. It just doesn't feel right. They can get some reflux-like symptoms, some burning. Um, but sometimes they won't necessarily feel anything, and that can be a time where it's confusing to somebody who is not as well-versed in food allergy, who is like, well, what do you mean you're allergic, but like nothing's going to happen? And if you're allergic, where's your EpiPen? Right. So so that's another one that I should add to this discussion. The other thing, let's let's (laughs) add a fifth one, shall we? Um, Is wheat-dependent exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Ooh, I've heard of this. Oh, yes. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. So basically, anaphylaxis is when you have high swelling, trouble breathing, right? Immediate right. onset can happen when you get stung by a bee. It can happen when you take penicillin, depending on what you're allergic to, right? So with exercise-induced anaphylaxis, there are people who literally are allergic to exercise. They start moving and grooving, and then they start hiving and a swelling. And it can be very dangerous. Right. Um, 
Then there are people who have wheat-dependent exercise-induced anaphylaxis. And what I mean by that is that they eat some saltines or they eat a peanut butter sandwich uh, or any kind of sandwich on bread and they go for a jog and they have anaphylaxis, high swelling, trouble breathing, vomiting, all the things, right? And what's going on is that for whatever reason, and we as allergists don't totally understand the physiology of it, but having the wheat in their system and exercising is putting their immune system over the edge and they have the reaction. Wow. Very interesting, right? But these people can eat wheat and not exercise and be totally fine. So that's another time where if (laughs) – where somebody can be like, wait, I thought you were allergic to wheat. Oh, well, I am allergic to wheat, but only if I exercise too. And then you really get the looks like, "Uh uh-huh, that's a real thing. It actually is a real real thing. I have I have two questions. One, do they need an EpiPen when this happens? Yes, they need an EpiPen because it's anaphylaxis. Okay. Um, so they absolutely need an EpiPen or epinephrine wow. auto injector. We have no stock in EpiPen. None of this. I'm sorry. Epinephrine auto injector. Yes, fine. my bad. We just it's just I just shorten it. EpiPen. Ep- epinephrine. Go. I'm going to start saying epinephrine. Um, two. It's not a question. Just a statement. Food allergies are just overall a little bit complicated. I've learned today. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just I thought they were clear cut. You're allergic. No. Here's your EpiPen. I learned today that uh, no, they uh, are. I know Adelaide. They are complicated, ma'am. They are. They, complicated. Are. they are, and that's why when, um, when like I'll get referred a patient, and the patient will come in and say, "Well, I need an allergy test," and it's right. like. You need an allergy evaluation because yes. the test, like with EOE, there's no good allergy test. I'm doing air quotes. Um, there's no good allergy, like blood work or skin prick testing that we can do for that. Even with blood testing for like peanut allergy, there are cases where you can have positive blood testing and actually not be allergic or right. your blood testing tells us that you actually have that you actually have oral allergy syndrome, which, which is not going to lead to anaphylaxis. Right. Which we have that too, but that's another another day for another conversation. I know. I think we've covered enough in this conversation, <laughs> right? It went from like, okay, we're going to talk about three things to four. Oh, wait, it really needs to be five. And a few tangents in between, but that's why we're here. Uh, Pam, I love our conversations. Me too. I love that we can go off on tangents and... And still educate people at the same time. It's great. (laughs) I know. I know. Listeners, please write in and let us know um, what you're enjoying about the podcast. I know we took a couple of weeks off and now we're back. Um, But what you're enjoying, what other topics you want to hear about. um, Do you hate our tangents or do you love our tangents? You Um, love them. (laughs) Also, too, I was just going to chime in and say that – If you have a question, maybe you're a new food allergy parent um, and you have a question for me. I mean, my my daughter was diagnosed about eight, nine years ago. So, you know, we've 
we have lived this life for a long time. It, it is our life. It is our normal. We, we don't remember the before. Um, you know, if you have any questions for me, maybe how we deal with things, what we do to prepare for school, for camps, for families, um, I'd be happy to um, to answer any of them if I can. So that would be that's kind of really That's really generous of you, Pam. I was kind of hoping that you would make some sort of offer like that because, yeah, I mean, you have you have acquired so much, like listeners, like sometimes when I'm talking to Pam, I forget I'm not talking to an allergist because she's very well read and well read on evidence-based topics regarding food allergy. Um, You're very welcome. Um, So if you have a question for Pam, then go ahead, submit it through the blog, but just say, Hey, Dr. Hoyt, you're awesome, but this is for Pam. And then submit your question. (laughs) I'm awesome too, you guys. (laughs) Pam is super awesome. Oh my gosh. Pam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. You are amazing. And um, let's do it again soon, shall we? Yes, ma'am. All right. See you later. See you later. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it with Pam. She really is a wealth of information. So if you have any questions for her or for me, reach out to us through the website, foodallergyandyourkiddo.com. And if it's for Pam, then say, this is for Pam. Um, And we'll get it to her. Y'all, Stay safe out there. If you're in the Gulf South, then my heart goes out to you as yet another storm is is heading your way. Um, so stay safe, stay safe. And of course, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what we talked about today. God bless you and God bless your family. Thanks for listening to this episode of Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with food allergist, Dr. Alice Hoyt. For more information on navigating the world of food allergy, visit www.foodallergyandyourkiddo.com and follow Dr. Hoyt on Twitter at Dr. Alice Hoyt. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Let's take the anxiety and confusion out of food allergy.